GM everyone, welcome to Flywheel, your number one source for everything Frax, DeFi, and everything in between. If you want to know what's going on in the world on chain, you've come to the right place. This is DeFi Dave here with Capital K, and we're here to help you harness the power of the Flywheel. And this time we had on the blog boy, DeFi Surfer, catching waves, catching trends, and everything in between. We had him on to talk about everything from Circle to Arbitrum, real big Arbitrum fanboy. We got deep on chain there, deep on the L2. Uh, Kit, thoughts on this one? We also went macro for all you guys out there too. We went we macro. Did, we know. Yeah. We, we, we larked around a little bit for you guys to get our you know thoughts on what's going on in the world. And I, I really like his take coming from his TriFi background. And if you want to catch all his takes, you got to stay tuned because we're about to roll into it. But before that, make sure you hit the bell button. Subscribe to us on YouTube to catch everything Flywheel because we never miss a beat with you. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Give us a like and follow us on Twitter at FlywheelDefi. Hit us up on Telegram. Join the discussion at FlywheelDefi. Follow me on Twitter at DefiDave22. And follow me at 0xCapitalUnderscoreK. Don't forget to listen to the postgame after the show. Let's get the flywheel spinning. Do you hold ETH but don't know what to do with it? Want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields but don't know where to start? Well, Frax ETH is there for you. Frax ETH is Frax's native LSD solution, allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your ETH. If you want to get started, go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into Frax ETH today. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Flywheel. I'm your host, DeFi Dave, here with Capital K, and this time, we have on Mr. DeFi Surfer, surfing the waves, the ups and downs of the markets and crypto Twitter, dodging psyops, dodging everything in his path to be one of the premier up and coming researchers and threaders out there in DeFi. DeFi Surfer 808, how are you doing today? I'm great, man. Thanks for the intro. That was awesome. <laughs> I got you. I got you. I mean, yeah, I feel like we're all in, in a way like surfing the uh, chaotic waves of DeFi and crypto. And, you know, I just want to get started on like, when did you start first catching waves? When did you far first start in crypto? Let's go way back. Like, how did you get your start? How did you get into DeFi? And how did you get into writing about it? Yeah, yeah, that's a great starting point. I, um, unfortunately, I showed up a little late. Uh, I got... I got into crypto in, in late 2020. I was introduced to Bitcoin. Uh, just for more background than you need, I'm, I come from like a TradFi background, like pretty typical. Got my MBA. I know that gets shit on a lot on the internet, but like. Bro, Kit has his MBA too. Oh, nice. Yeah, bro. I'm it's a, safe here. It's a safe space here. Yeah. <laughs> this is safe space, safe space for furthering education. <laughs> so I ignored but Bitcoin. Don't put it on forever. your Twitter bio though. <laughs> Oh, never. Wouldn't, wouldn't dare. Um, yeah, just ignored Bitcoin forever. And then it finally clicked the digital gold thesis in late 2020. Uh, I started off as a bit of a Bitcoin maxi. And then like, natural. 
naturopath. And then Ethereum just kept pumping. So I'm like, shit, I'm, I'm missing something over here. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, dug into DeFi, um, understood like the smart contract thesis, and then started playing around on chain. Literally at the top of, of the, the DeFi peak, I think this was in like May, May of 2021. Okay, so like the Dogecoin field pump. Yeah, yeah. I like found Ave. I'm going back. I found Ave and Sushi like at the top. Um, went through like that 70% drawdown in a couple of weeks. And for some crazy ass reason, I decided to stick around. <laughs> I haven't left since. The real one. Uh, so you started, so you started playing around. Uh, what were your first reactions coming from TradFi interacting with DeFi protocols like Ave and Compound and others? Uh, it, it was very intimidating. I think I, I think I uh, got a greater appreciation for like why, you know, Bitcoin is is one thing, but then to go and like put money on the on like on the internet in self custody interacting with all these apps that are like super foreign to you like it gave me like a super good appreciation for why you know the 99% of consumers just aren't ready for this stuff yeah what do you think would make it less intimidating for the 99% if that's even possible yeah i'm oh it, this like comes this is like a great entree to like one of the themes we may or may not be talking about. Like, I think that's where a company like Coinbase or Binance like have a huge opportunity. They could like abstract away all the complexity, all the risk associated with interacting with these contracts. So, I mean, I, mm -hmm. I, you know, Coinbase is an exchange, but one day it could be this like freeway into like the, the web three ecosystem. Yeah. I think that's exactly what Coinbase and Binance are going for. I mean, uh, CZ has even said in past interviews that he expects most action for Binance to be on BNB chain within five years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I hope that's and right. Coinbase has base. And yeah, they have base. <laughs> that's a pretty sick name for a layer two. You got to yeah. give it to him. Yeah, and so let's go. Let's go off from there. So with Binance and BNB chain, which is often ignored by CT for whatever reason, uh, let's talk about it a bit. Like, what's your BNB thesis? Um, how do you feel like how protocols have evolved, uh, since the beginning of BNB till now, now you have, you know, you have, uh, level and you have Thena, um, and how do you think it has matured over the past months and years? Uh, so my, my, uh, my, my higher level thesis is like Bitcoin and ETH are kind of like the store of value. That's like the tip of the spear. And then where, I, where I think. Most of the user growth, the TVL growth, the, the, the revenue growth, if you want to get, go there, I think that's going to take place at like the cheaper layer twos. Um, I think of Binance as like in, it's not technically a layer two, but it's, it's ETH compatible. It's kind of like in the Ethereum ecosystem. And they mm -hmm. have this like, CVM. Exactly. They have this like massive asset in Binance, which has like 90 million users, whatever the proof of reserves is, 70, 80 billion. Um, basically like dominate the X us market. Um, I, so I think Binance will like funnel whether, uh, forcefully or just through natural curiosity, other customers will funnel more users onto that chain over time. And mm -hmm. I think there's like this elite group of applications that will benefit from that transition. And if you look at the market caps of these applications versus say Ethereum, 
they're still like super, super small, even though like with pretty good conviction, if you just kind of set aside the risk around the regulatory risk, which is another conversation, they should mm -hmm. see a lot more user TVL transaction growth than Ethereum layer one. I, I can't understand like the, the Ethereum layer one kind of a lot of these applications feel mature. Um, they're just they're not moving as fast as some of these smaller mm -hmm. apps. Um, but I'd love to get your guys take. I wonder if you if you feel differently. There's Frax is an outlier because they seem to be spinning up like new products like crazy. <laughs> they're they're in a different bucket. Yeah, Kit, you want to take that one? Yeah, sure. I, in my opinion, I think like the the super Lindy names like Curve, Ave, Compound, they just frankly have to move slower because, well, if anything were to break, it would be a massive shock, like a systemic shock to the whole DeFi space, in my opinion. That's why they kind of have to move a little bit slower. That's why Curve, USD, and Go is taking like forever long to come out, right? That's at least my take for it. And you're absolutely right mm -hmm. that all the quote innovation and move fast break things are moving towards the, the layer twos. And I think kind of rightfully so, because people who kind of are on the layer twos right now are a bit more uh, advanced, right? They're a bit more sophisticated to even know to go into layer twos and experiment with these new toys. So I think it's a right product market fit for the user types that's on layer twos. Yeah, I think when it comes to new developments and you know, especially de developers in you know the developing world or global south that really can't afford to deploy on Ethereum Layer One. Um, they're going to go deploy on BNB chain. They can go deploy on L2s. They're going to go deploy wherever it's cheapest. Uh, BNB right now is probably the best candidate just because there's so many users and they're often small users. Um, but I expect there to be, and they don't have to be like the most complicated like DeFi like leverage this that. But new novel financial product. No, it just has to have like a slick UI. It should work and should feel comfortable to the user. And I feel like that's most likely to come on like BNB chain or maybe Polygon or something. Um, I I know like uh, with ZK Sync 1.0, I'm I'm close with the Zigzag founder, and most of like the trades that happen on there are from you know are like small trades from people from all over the world, and people just trade that because it's cheap. And I think it's so simple yet so underestimated. Like. Cost does matter. Like people do pay, like, especially like people, even in the back of heads, they pay like, oh, like how much gas is this, this and that, like most people at least. So, um, totally agree, but yeah. on the, on the other side, most of the liquidity right now is still on ETH. It's still like this gravity. It's still like the, the center of it all, the liquidity black hole and people pray that premium in gas for that liquidity. Um, and that has a moat and I don't know how soon that will go away. Well, um, I, I a hundred percent agree with that. I'm just more yeah. focused on where's the growth going to come from. Where's the growth? Yeah. Going? Yeah. I definitely see it on the L2s. Um, you know, you're going to, you're definitely seeing the emergence of this app chain thesis um, of like, you know, first it was like, you know, the fat, like fat chain theory. Now it's fat app theory. Um, and so <laughs> what are your thoughts on like the app thesis that, you know, L2, like people are just going to create their own app chains, this and that. How Frax has mentioned the towing the, with the idea of a Frax chain before. Uh, app chain, I, uh, I think if you have a really compelling application, it can work like DYDX is maybe a good example. Like they, mm -hmm. they, do, they have a great product. They have so many token listings, et cetera, et cetera. On the other hand, if you are, all are on a shared chain, you benefit from like a network effect. You can like move from mm -hmm. one app to the other seamlessly, relatively easily. 
And with something like Ethereum, you can have like a shared currency across all these different families of chains. Um, so like, you know, for a compelling application, I think the app, app, app chain thesis works fine. But for like building an internet native financial system ecosystem, I think, I think like having a shared chain across a bunch of applications makes the most sense to me. Like if, yeah. if, if your DYDX started out as Ethereum, correct me if I'm wrong, and then they, they gain critical yep. mass and mind share, and then they win app chain. Um, I think if you're like a, a scrappy young protocol, you, you have to be, you have to start off. You yeah. have to be looking at like Arbitrum. I'm, I'm very bullish yeah. on Arbitrum. So yeah, I mm -hmm. think there's a lot of network effects to a shared chain. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Arbitrum. Uh, you know, recently we've, we've seen their airdrop, uh, finally, um, it felt like, it kind of felt like a little bit like Uniswap, like round two again, like how if. Even if you just like bridged over, you got some of the airdrop, which is yeah. like pretty cool to see. Um, so what are your thoughts on Arbitrum, the airdrop, and what more importantly, like what protocols do you like like up and coming on Arbitrum? Um, so Arbitrum, you look at the, the like this is a funny conversation. Um, I, I'm really ambivalent about like if you if you just scroll through the top 100 chains like mm -hmm. very or sorry top 100 cryptos very 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 few of their valuations make any sense but if, if if you like if you do like the crypto native comps exercise like oh avalanche is this solana is this cardano if you want to go there talks about is this arbitrum at i think it's like 1.4 1.5 billion right now like circulating mm -hmm. market cap looks like a major major outlier relative to like its user growth, transaction growth, its revenue generation. Um, so depending on the macro backdrop for the next year before the unlocks start occurring, it seems like it probably does okay, I would think, the token itself. Mm -hmm. um, on the ecosystem, uh, up and coming stuff, I mean, it's, I, I really love GMX. I think I'm... Uh, um, this it's just GMX like appeals to a tradfi person. It's just like simple to understand. It like makes a lot of money. It makes uh, a lot of money. Makes, makes a, a lot of money. money. Um, and there's like, I I think like this could be totally wrong, but I think there's like probably an arbitrage in crypto that plays out over a few years where where where, where cash flow generation. It like cash flow generation seems mispriced in crypto. Um, like stuff moves on on things not related to fundamentals. That like ninety five percent of the time it's like hype right. narrative, etc. It's all mimetic energy. All yeah. Yeah. So so something something like GMX that's attacking a huge TAM is kind of growing organically at very high rates. It's like generating robust cash flow. It trades at like a pretty low multiple. Mm -hmm kind of checks every box you'd want as a TradFi person. Um, in terms of like, yeah, I, yeah. oh, go ahead. I like to say that, I like to say that GMX has perfect product market fit. <laughs> like, you know, it was like built for DGENs. It was built for traders. It was basically built for people that are savvy enough to have like, not only like, you know, interact with ETH, but also make it and bridge over to Arbitrum. And they really kept, they were early. They captured that audience. Like, hell, they were on BNB chain, I believe first under Gambit. And they were just able to evolve um, and build a killer product that brings in a lot of revenue. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, I... I... Oh, go, go for it. Go ahead, Kit. I just want to add a last point. I think GMX was the right product in the right place at the right time for the right users. Like, it, it just had all of those confluencing factors just kind of play into its growth. And with the more GLP in there, the, the better product it is. So it's kind of like this nice little flywheel that it got for itself. You know, that's that's at least my, my take on GMX. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh. like the... I've been surprised, like the organic growth just keeps like its open interest just keeps going up. So like the product has a lot of flaws. I, I don't think anyone yeah. would argue what do you that. Think, um, what do you think about GLP and its sustainability over time? The fees that they charge relative to the uh, utilization of the of, of each of the trading pairs like solves a lot of that risk. Um, it is a risk, though, like uh, like. If Kang were to go on a hot streak, you know, maybe it could impair it. <laughs> it's really hard to do that consistently, as I think we've seen. Um, but it, I, there, it'll always be there that outlier risk. I think they're trying. Yeah, like, who will be the who will be the George Soros of GMX? You need a lot of size. You need a lot of size. Yeah. <laughs> maybe Kobe one day. Yeah, maybe. Um, um, actually, I, 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 I want to double click back. Oh, go for it. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you mentioned something about valuation earlier, and I, I wanted to jump in there, but you, you mentioned the circulating supply of ARB is, is at this level. When you do like the crypto comps analysis, you, you kind of see that as an outlier. What is your take on circulating supply versus FDV? I, it depends on whether I want to be bullish or bearish. <laughs> <laughs> Show me your bias and I'll give you your evidence. <laughs> no, honestly though, like I think all that matters is is like liquidity. And uh, you know, if if those hmm. tokens aren't there weighing on the price, it I don't it doesn't matter from a practical perspective. To the extent that it like turns people away from buying the, the coin, it'll matter. But uh I don't know, like the it, it, you go back and look at like some of the circulating market caps these coins got at the peak of the bull cycle like nobody gave a shit about the fdv um <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. sushi. nobody gave a fuck about the fdv at the top <laughs> yeah no <laughs> didn't like filecoin get like 100 billion fdv at yeah. the top or like there was some was, outrageous was some ludicrous stuff. yeah yeah that's true that's that's yeah. very fair yeah, if, uh, I want to go. Oh, go for wait, it. Um, I want to go back to the back at the topic at hand with uh, Arbitrum. Um, outside of GMX, are there any other up and coming protocols you like? I really like. I really like Camelot. Um, mm. Mm. What do you like about it's, them? It, it's kind of we'll we'll see if this is sustainable. Like, mm -hmm. it, it might not be, but um, they've kind of. They've got like amazing BD and they've attracted all these like new upcoming tokens to launch in their platform. So they're, it looks like they're building out a moat um, on liquidity on all these like cool new projects that are popping up. Um, yeah. So it's kind of like a lazy way to, to make a bet across like a, a family of, you know, new up and I was going to say shit coins, but that's a little <laughs> disparaging. A, a family. Of all frame of reference again. <laughs> 
a new up and coming family of uh, tokens. Um, <laughs> yeah, I actually used Camelot uh, the other day. Um, actually, quite a nice UI and user experience. I think the um, website the website's really high quality. They have like great yeah, analytics. Right. They have like a lot of um, value. Uh, accrual for users between the burn and the the dividends they pay. It's like a really mm -hmm. well designed protocol, and it and the fact that it's Arbitrum native is such an advantage to like you know let's say like Uniswap or SushiSwap, which is just like oh let's just deploy on here. Like always, the native protocols do so much better. Like even look at Velodrome on Optimism. Like oh yeah, they're killing it. Yeah, like literally have like Optimism you know unlock there. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> And Joe, Joe did a killer job on AVAX. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's something to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Joe actually, they've been in the news recently with, uh, you know, they deployed their V3-like pools and they have been doing quite well uh, because they launched an Arbitrum too, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. That, that yeah. maestro guy, he's, he's bringing a lot of hype to Joe. Yeah. Yeah. So like, what, are your thoughts? what are your thoughts on Joe V3 moving to Arbitrum and, you know, and everything going on over there? Uh, the, the stats are like super impressive around like the liquidity um, versus the volume. It's it's like insane the numbers they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, so they've, they're definitely onto something. Um, I'm I'm, uh, I'm I'm kind of um, I don't I don't like Joe's website. This is going to sound stupid. <laughs> <laughs> is it too cartoonish for you? Because you've said that in the past. Yeah, yeah, I. Uh, I always find myself like going to Uniswap to trade. I I used to go to Sushi a bunch, but I've I've been going to Uniswap lately. Um, that's like a dumb, like irrational thing, but uh, they they're they're not their numbers are definitely like crazy good. So they're 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 onto something. Yeah, I was gonna also ask you know with V three expiring, actually it was expiring two days. <laughs> so I mean it expired after the interview was out. But um, what do you think the ramifications of uh, you know V like V three's patent, well, not, copy whatever it is, copyright patent, like basically expiring in April first? Anybody can go fork it. Uh, what do you think the effects are that going to be? What do you think is that's going to is that going to be a challenge to Uniswap being forked a lot? Do you think Uniswap has enough of a moat? Um, what are your thoughts? No, I mean that's that's the million dollar question. Um... Yeah, I, think I guess Joe's a preview of that. I think it's great for the ecosystem to have that, you know, mm -hmm. the, uh, the, uh, what's the, what's the terminology? The, uh, competition. No, no, no. The, uh, the liquidity, the, um, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking right now. The, uh, what the V3 is all about like the, the concentration. It was like the only yeah. tip of my tongue. Um, yeah, I mean, having that tech across the entire ecosystem is going to be great. And for teams that execute, it's an opportunity to, to grab share. Um, we have, you know, like, there's something about these OG protocols, Uni, Aave, Frax, like, et cetera. Like, the, the liquidity they have is really sticky. The trust they have is really sticky. So, like, yeah, new capital brand. coming in. It, mm -hmm. Yeah, they know like Lindy builds exactly. You know, like you go to Uniswap, you're gonna attract a lot of volume users, etc. Mm -hmm. So like, liquidity has been far more defendable for Uniswap than I would have guessed. So that's that's been pretty surprising. So 
I don't know. We'll, yeah. there, there'll be some changes in the short term, but I don't know if it structurally changes much. We'll see. Yeah. I think this would be a big deal for new chains and up and coming chains that don't have a not a, that don't have a lot of liquidity to begin with. And then you introduce something like Uniswap V3 or V3 like, you know, provisioning uh, available on that chain. Well, you can actually get like sizable and good trade execution trade orders on those low liquidity chains because of Uniswap V3 or in like forks that will come out. So I think, you know, this is a really big deal for, you know, existing l2s new new chains coming out any chains you're you're yeah. eyeing that might be big beneficiaries um none not really fraction <laughs> i'm just kidding great um, answer what are they long <laughs> yeah I, I not one in particular honestly like i more of my interest is because i feel like all the chains are the same honestly i guess like i mean all those zkvms came out but have you guys used zkvm at all have you guys tried it out? Like Polygon, ZKVM, ZK Sync yet? I, I haven't. The only reason I came to Arbitrum was because of Topex. Yeah. Oh, there. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's funny because like there was just such this hype around the ZKEVM narrative, yet none of us has even tried to use ZKEVM yet. There's nothing like, to do right? there, right? Like, there's nothing to do. Is there, yeah, it's like the news is over. There's nothing to do there yet. Is any app like well, I mean, you to ZK? What are you going to say, Kit? I said you could still go on there and sibyl the airdrop, I, I suppose. <laughs> That's always a use case for a new chain. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, airdrop. Oh, my God. All, all the airdrop farmers are just like feeling so redeemed with uh, Arbitrum. Bro, I'm surprised how generous the Arbitrum airdrop was, to be honest. The freaking threads that have popped up about farming airdrops are out of control. I hate it. I hate it so much. Stop. (laughs) They won't. Well, at the end of the day, like think about like the masses and like what the masses are thinking about. They want to like make money as quickly and easy as possible. And what is as quick and easy as money from falling from the sky? Free money. Honestly. (laughs) Free money. Just literally bridge. It's it's bridge over. Go like trade, go, just go do stuff on chain that you would normally do on another chain, but on our chain. Um, it's yeah. I mean, like we have it good right now, fellas. We really do have it good. Yeah, we really do. Airdrop threaders are going to ruin it. Yeah. Like, Arbitrum something special though. It's not like it is. How many like yeah. ghost layer ones are there? Oh yeah. Ton. I mean, and it's at this time in, in the bear you know, when all the hype subsides and all the liquidity gets pulled at back like waves into the ocean that you really see um, who's real and who has their pants on or bathing suit on. Um, and Arbitrum is one of them. Arbitrum, it's like Arbitrum, Polygon, BNB chain. Um, you know, they're the ones that have like really showed strength uh, in this time of retraction. What, so like, I'm not familiar with ZK. What, like what's, if you're if you're like a Polygon user, like what would pull you from Polygon to zk? I, from Ethereum, I the value prop of Arbitrum is like super friggin' obvious. It's like cheaper yeah. Ethereum. What if like zk EVM was overblown after all? I don't know. It could be. <laughs> yeah. What if people are just like? I mean, I mean, think about it. User experience wise, like, what's the difference between like optimistic rollups and zk EVM? Unless like one's like dramatically cheaper, that's the only thing. I don't cap. You got to also you the privacy take... bit. 
Yeah, isn't it the, the privacy pri- I mean, like, too? Like, I know, I know, privacy is private? kind of like. I mean, isn't that the whole premise of of, of zero knowledge is that it, it kind of bakes in privacy at at the at the at the base level, right? So, I mean, I know nobody yeah, really I'm... cares about privacy, though. That's like you're putting a premium on something that no one cares about right now. I think, that, I think people care about privacy. I think people are caring about it more. But do you, I don't know if like zk EVM has privacy built in like that. I don't know if like these new zk zk EVM chains do. I'm, I'm Damn, looking at research. I'm looking at Zcash. I'm not sure people care about privacy. Yeah. I mean, as long as, but people won't go out of their way to, people just want stuff that's easy and cheap at the end of the day. Think, that's what it comes yeah, down to. I think that's right. Actually, yeah. this, this brings me to a, a question for you, uh, Surfer, is like, you mentioned growth earlier in the call and I'm on the pod and I'm thinking like growth in what sense should we build more products for the current users that we have now, or should we build products for the more quote mass retail be super beginner type? Um, cause we see a lot of financial product innovation on Arbitrum, like some really complex stuff. Like we love it, but. Is that the right product for, for kind of like the next, the masses? What do you think? Yeah. I mean, like if you're on Arbitrum, you're probably pretty sophisticated and you're in like a pretty small minority of folks that are, are, are crypto savvy. Um, so if you're building on Arbitrum, you're probably building for that relatively niche audience. Um, I, I, I think it's. Look, I, Solana is like, we could go there. Like the Solana, th- it's kind of having this, had this major fall from grace. Like the, you can look at the mm-hmm. TVL of the chain, like DeFi is not even a thing there anymore. And they're trying to pivot the narrative to being like the consumer focused chain. Well, I, I feel like they've been trying to do that. Yeah. I mean, we'll see if, if they crack the code, but it's, it's like really, it's really hard to onboard the long tail of unsophisticated consumers into crypto. Um, yeah, maybe they'll succeed, but I, I think somebody like a Coinbase who has like a hundred million accounts, I, I, I think like they're a more natural candidate to do that exercise of getting folks on chain. I don't, I don't know. Do you, do you guys have a different view? Yeah, I agree with you. Um, Coinbase, Binance, they're in the absolute best position to get the masses on chain. They're literally the on off ramp. They can, they offer like the most important services, which is like on off ramp and custody. Like, you know, for people that don't want to worry about like their coins or like, you know, get it flipping on and off into cash every day. Um, they can just go there. And I think they have the best experience. They have the teams, they have the customer support to maybe not customer support, but, but I imagine they'll develop the customer support over time to, di- to, um, guide people along, um, in their on-chain journey. Like, I think like the wow. best way to look at these, like L2s, these l two, Hey, maybe they'll do it with AI. Uh, I think <laughs> plug, I think the best way to look at these like L2s and like all L1s and stuff is, I think Sam said this a while ago that by, think of BNB chain as just like a Binance SDK, but just like, you just like interact with it. Like it's like an S it's a public SDK that you just like interact with. Hmm. 
And so like, if you like look at it, it's like a public facing computer. Um, so yeah. I, I just want to say one thing about really, it. They, the moment you said customer support, I just thought of what, what blockchain would have a 1-800 help number? Like if you have an issue, you dial one eight hundred blockchain, and you get to talk to a customer rep on the other side to walk you it through. It would probably it. be AI. AI would be the thing that could handle this. Like maybe not. I don't know. I I, I mean AI is a whole other okay. conversation. To be honest, like if they if like think about like how do, how do you like like that's the thing with beginners is like they're so as you said in the beginning, DeFi surfer, they're so intimidated for good reason because it's like interacting self-custody and all that um that they need someone to guide them along like i'm sure like all of us when we first got into crypto we didn't know like you know mm -hmm. our head from our toes um and we had people to help us along and answer our questions um you know no one ever does it alone and so like the question is like how can we most efficiently like get those people on chain like with okay. with that in mind can I play oh, devil's advocate on, on both of you guys right now? Because yeah, both of you guys are very bullish on B, you know, yeah. Binance Chain and Coinbase and Base and all that stuff. I'm like, okay, well, if they're going to be the ones that bring on mass retail and et cetera, et cetera, then what's the bull case for layer two Arbitrum or any of these other uh, L2 protocols that is building product for the super complex and super niche? Like, isn't there a clear cap if we're I, not going to go I mean, after the mass retail? I don't, I don't think that, you know, Binance and Coinbase are going to capture everything. Um, but I think, you know, I think there'll be bridges, quote, no pun intended, to these other chains as well. I mean, like, even like right now, uh, you know, you can deposit and withdraw USDC on Polygon uh, on Coinbase. And I'm sure they'll add Arbitrum and other chains in the future as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think once you're on chain, like the intimidation factor goes down, like you go from base to like just bridging is like the incremental thing you need to learn. And it's yeah. not that hard. Yeah. Um, but it's just it's boarding school. It's, you know, it's your training wheels on, you know, the BNB chains and polygons. And then if you want to go to the more DGEN protocols, Arbitrum's waiting for you there, which I actually want to go back to Arbitrum. You said something like Arbitrum's just special. Um, what do you think makes Arbitrum so special? Was it like in the beginning, the kind of community that, you know, coalesced around it? Was it, you know, how, you know, the community, like the team presented themselves and presented Arbitrum? Like what, what do you think like Arbitrum did right? They hired Size Chad. They hired Size Chad. <laughs> <laughs> He's an amazing Single source of success. Though. Yes, yes. <laughs> of course. Well, I mean like the, one thing they did really well is they always they were very consistent in saying like ETH is going to be the gas token from the very beginning. That's that set them apart in all these like scam chains that wanted to be like ETH killers. Um, mm -hmm. So being like very pro ETH, very centered around scaling ETH, allowed them to attract really talented developers. And I think it was like Dopex that was like the first prominent DeFi protocol that took that risk to jump to Arbitrum. And that really just started a cascade of like getting a lot of developer mindshare in the Ethereum community. Um, what, what I think separates Arbitrum from like a sea of cheap, fast chains is like they just have like a lot of sweet applications. They have like 
you could say that about ETH layer one. That's what makes it special too. It has like these really cool applications. And yeah, it has this network effect. Yeah, exactly. You get a, like you get some sweet applications. It attracts more users. It attracts more devs. It's a virtual virtuous cycle. Yeah, and um, yeah, and they're they're very much uh, they have ETH, Ethereum values. Um, you know that that wasn't the obvious call like two years ago at the peak of the bull market. Yeah. So I think that's paying dividends for them now. Yeah, no, I think if you ask anybody like two, three years from now, they would think that, you know, other, you know, other chains or other L2s would be like out in front and Arbitrum kind of just came out of nowhere as this kind of like dark horse and, you know, was able to capture the mind share of the developer class. And, you know, like, like you said, like they had these Ethereum values, they made it very friendly towards developers and, you know, you get one cool protocol on there, like what Dopex and then you get a GMX and then everybody wants to build on top or with them. So. Yeah, they, they made a lot of like really good decisions early on and it's it's paying off in spades. Yeah, yeah. I want to shift course here from talking about layer twos to talking about stable coins. Um, so a few weeks ago, uh, Sam, uh, founder of Fraxin, introduced this concept of stablecoin maximalism, which is basically the theory that, you know, over a long enough period of time, you know, every protocol, whether it's GMX, whether it's dope, what, no matter what it is, they're going to have their own stablecoin eventually. Um, what are your thoughts on this concept? Do you agree or disagree with it and why? It just seems like a pain in the butt to manage so many different stablecoins. What do you think? Yeah. Um, I don't not, It isn't necessary that every state, every protocol will have a stablecoin, but a stable, a stablecoin will be essential to its existence. And I think that's another way of saying liquidity will be uh, essential to its existence. Like, I think a, a good way to f look at this and frame this is what happened with Binance with BUSD. Like you can say like BUSD was the stablecoin of Binance. And then when, you know, BUSD got knocked by regulations and stuff and they had to wind that down, but they had to find a new stablecoin. And like right now it's looking like it's going to be TUSD. So, you know, right. And, you know, right now we saw what happened with USDC a few weeks ago, whole Silvergate situation, blah, blah, blah. Like you're going to have these different protocols, like look to either create their own stable coins, like they're, whether it's go for Aave, CRV USD for curve, or maybe integrate a stable coin like Frax that takes care of the liquidity problem for you because they're in the liquidity business. I mean, like the, it, it, like intuitively you would think stable coins would have some of the most powerful network effects of any crypto protocol. It's mm -hmm. like, you 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 what do you want a stable coin for just to represent a dollar and then like you just want to take it with you wherever you go um and the one with the most liquidity should win out kind of like the us dollar has won out over time amongst like a i don't know how many global currencies are there like a couple hundred um i mean like for a big application that wants to capture the value of a stable coin they have a lot of users they have a lot of capital like it'll it'll make sense in those niche scenarios. But like, I, I would think that like the industry will center around one over time. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, USDC took a, a huge knock with this recent CivB, uh, or sorry, Silicon Valley um, issue. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm kind of scratching my head and at this like huge rotation and the tether, like the, the U.S. is going after Binance, <laughs> and like Tether's probably not far behind. So, yeah, yeah I mean, like, 
I mean, tethers are the euro dollars of of stable coins. They're like offshore. They're not really part of the system. They're kind of this black box, but they're there and they've been around the longest. So yeah, you know. but like in the CFTC complaint, there's accusations that Binance helped facilitate terrorism, um, and I'm sure Tether is probably not all that different. They probably don't have a lot of controls around who's using their their coin. Yeah, there's there there's gonna be. It's impossible to see now. Tether has like crazy good momentum, but uh, there's going to be problems. Yeah, you know, everybody has their day in the sun and everybody has their problems. Well, that's, I, <laughs> everybody, the rainy days. I think that's why USDC is so interesting is because like they they have a lot of similarities with Coinbase. They're like the, the furthest along in this this like regulatory um, like, I don't know what you would call it, like just a of clusterfuck <laughs> so they're, they're yes. like the closest to getting like the you know the regulatory go-ahead of being like this clean u.s dollar representation um mm-hmm. i think i think they are in the best position to win the long-term race tether is like sketchy dude yeah it, it works I- but it's like I think they make a good like duality and dichotomy of like one is, you know, if you want to choose like the open regulated onshore dollar, there's USDC. But if you want the other one, if you want like, you know, more of like the offshore dollar, which the majority of Asia does choose and like the majority of the rest of the world does choose and centralized exchanges do choose, it's, it's tether. Um, personally, I like, I like to hold like, USDC. I like to hold fracks. I like to hold like all these are hell. We hold a bunch of fracks at flywheel as part of our grant. And it's been quite useful. Um, and so, but you know, we, 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 we all have our choices, you know? Well, I, um, I, I think yeah. I, you know, this, the Civby thing was extremely unfortunate. Um, if like, if they didn't have to adhere to banking hours, I don't think there would have been this run folks problem, would have redeemed. Yeah. They, it would have come nowhere close to getting to the three mm-hmm. billion you would have had to have needed to like actually impair the coin. Like none of that would have happened. Um, yeah. Whereas like Tether, you have no fucking idea what their reserves are if they're good for their reserves. Um, yeah. So I I I think like once I don't know whether it's USDC, someone else. Like once some coin gets like this U.S. approved stamp. The, mm-hmm. the market probably like centers around that coin, I would guess, over time. Yeah. Uh, FDIC insured you... wallet <laughs> for all USDC, I mean, yeah. imagine. But uh, let's touch on like the Silvergate situation because you've written about that before that happened a few weeks ago. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, everything that went down that weekend, um, you know, and how uh, just, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? And and all the aftermath too with the the banking yeah, crisis the and, and things like that. That that whole situation is very frustrating. Um, the like my perception of what happened is like Silvergate was the one closest to FTX with that whole debacle, um, and that like spooked the shit out of their depositors, and they had like a huge drawdown in deposits in Q4, and it never really left like the FUD like kept going, they kept seeing like steady outflows and they unfortunately had to uh, liquidate. Um, That was even before the Silicon Valley and some issues. So it's that and and the combination of rising interest rates and 
money markets having attractive yields where people are like, oh, like, why do I have my money sitting in Silvergate when I can go just chase this money market mutual fund? Yeah, that's definitely part of it. Um, but like the this, I mean, they went from like 14 billion of deposits to zero in like five months. I think most of that was fear driven. Um, yeah. The, the, the most frustrating part of like the Silvergate and signature issues is like there has been no proof that there was any wrongdoing. It's all like hearsay. But like that hearsay was enough to freak their customers out to withdraw funds from the bank, which caused them to go under. Um, so like, I don't know. I don't I don't know if Silvergate did anything wrong, but like here they are. Their 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 equity is worthless. So the whole the yeah. whole thing's really shitty. Yeah. What's your take on, you know, the, the and this all happens in the backdrop of Operation Chokepoint 2.0, you know, heavy regulatory pressure from the executive branch. Um, what's your take on the current regulatory climate in the U.S. right now? Yeah, I mean, it's not great. <laughs> not great. Not great. Yeah. <laughs> no. It, yeah. And as as it relates to the um, the whole what happened a few weeks ago with like Silvergate, this and that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you see the headlines and everybody knows Silvergate and Signature Bank because they're like the crypto franchises. But like I have contacts at, uh, at, at Circle, at Coinbase, and even like some, a company like Block. There's, there's like 4,000 banks in the US. 4,000, that's a big number. Most countries have like 10 to 20, like some tiny ass number. And what, mm -hmm. what these like new fintechs, including crypto fintechs can bring is a lot of business to these like shitty low growth banks. And so like, yeah, Signature and Silvergate are gone, but they're like, there's like a couple, couple handfuls, 10 to 15 of these smaller banks that are jump, jump chomping at the bit to replace these guys. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm. so, how, so I got a question for you. Oh, go for how it. does, how can DeFi and crypto, you know, bring life back to these, you know, small sleepy banks, maybe even credit unions? You gotta ask uh, Zero X Hams for that. For that, he's the bank's guy. I, I yeah. Does I don't know if he'll come on podcast though. Yeah, he's uh, he doesn't like the. He, <laughs> I know. I've talked to him. I'm like, dude, come on. He's like, I I I can't. I'm like, ah, all right. Uh, I, I it's obviously like a, a huge opportunity, and like I think Maker tried to take some steps in that direction, and like the real world lending. Um, it's hard. It's, it's hard. Super hard. Yeah, it's super super hard. But like, there's 1.2 trillion of capital tied up in crypto. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's like thousands of crypto wealthy folks who would want to borrow against their crypto and buy something in the real world. It's got to be like a big market if somebody can crack it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what do you I, think I, the I stable wanna... environment? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Kate. Before we move to the stablecoin environment, I want to dig in a bit deeper in the banking crisis because DeFi Surfer, you, you tweeted something saying that, like, is this going to be a one off or is this going to be a change in the trend for the Fed QE? Uh, could, could you elaborate more on your thoughts here? So, like, when initially it all went down, they, they, they rolled out this um, bank term funding program, BTFP, that, that enabled banks to, like, lend to the Fed and, and borrow from the Fed to plug the hole from deposits that are leaving the bank. Um, 
So I initially I had thought it was a trend that bank deposits would flee the system and they would have to keep tapping BTFP to plug this hole. And, and any borrowing on BTFP is a creation of money. It's a credit. So I thought like that was a secular trend, like these banks would all tap BTFP, the BTFP funding program would keep going up and then like we'd have effectively new QE. I think what's actually happening is it seems like deposits outflows have stabilized and now they're more manageable. So that the, these banks are like selling securities to fund the, the whole left by uh, departing deposits. So I think it's looking like it's a one-off and and the feds might go back to reducing its balance sheet. So that that's kind of, that's why I'm a bit cautious in the near term. It, it looks like we're going to, like inflation's not really solved yet. And like no one on the fed is like talking about easing off the gas. So I, I, I think it's like a little tricky situation right now. I don't, do you guys have a take? Um, I, I think the question is like, will the, uh, oh, go ahead, Kent. Oh, no, no, go, go ahead there. Uh, it, the main question is like, will will the BTFP program actually end after the year? Um, you know, you hear arguments for and against, it's like, once you start like, you know, for example, like quantitative easing, like it's all quantitative easy, like all the way down. Um, it never really ended. And so, you know, even if they, you know, let's say if BTFP like does end. I'm sure if like some liquidity crisis happens in the future, they'll either like bring it back or like just call it a, a different name. Um, no, the, the U.S.'s fiscal situation is fucked like long term. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna have to keep yeah. basing the dollar. I think it's it's just a tactical question of like when do we get that inflection, and I think it might be a bit further away than than right now. I I think like well, you're at the end of the day, it's about like who's holding your debt, who's holding dollars, and you know as more as like this multipolar world comes into being and, you know, more country to country trade settles in other currencies or, or in gold, um, you know, the, the reliance on the dollar just naturally just goes down. Um, so it is concerning as a, uh, you know, as a dollar holder per se <laughs> to see this happen because it, it affects all of us, you know, who holds dollars. Yeah. That's why uh, we got to hold, you know, something like ETH. Yeah, something like it. yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, Balchi is a great term. Inside money and outside money. You know, outside money is like you know, ETH, Bitcoin, gold, real estate. Um, you know, that's really your hedge against all of this. You know, inside money that seems to be going down. That it not seems to be is going down. You know, because the house is just not in order. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean. Like, like when you think about it, what's really going on here is like we're building a new financial system that's more honest than the existing one. I think that mm -hmm. I think that's the the core structural trend of what's happening, and it's just kind of lost in all this like degenerate NFT yeah. like yield farming stuff. And like, what what does crypto and DeFi actually bring that's so revolutionary? And this is what it is. This, what I was talking about this with actually Drake <laughs> the other day. Um, and he was talking about how, you know, because everything's transparent and on chain, you really, it's like, it's much harder to do something like full scale fractional reserve banking, like, you know, like that banks do in traditional finance. Like you like pretty much have to be full reserve, um, you know, on chain. Otherwise people can just like see your balance sheet. The reason why fractional 
reserve banking works is because people like can't see the balance sheets immediately of all these different banks. Nobody knows um, every bank's technically insolvent. Yeah. yeah. Like no one, yeah. it's all a confidence game. It's all a confidence game. Exactly. But I was actually thinking about this the other day. It's like, okay, you need to have like full reserve, full reserves at all times. So like, what, what can we do to like, you know, and like have like credit flow through the system in like a full reserve system. And I think the key of it is, is locked liquidity is like having incentives for like having liquidity locked for long periods of time. Um, and that's like the only way we'll have, like, they can even like attempt to do some type of like, you know, fractional reserve banking. And, um, you know, you can like, that's basically been like the only reason why Frax has been successful, um, in its hybrid model. I mean, yes, it's going to a hundred percent right now. Um, but it's been successful because they've had locks of liquidity, you know, uh, like hundreds of millions of dollars locked in, in all, you know, in Curve and Uniswap and everywhere. Yep. So that's just kind of, I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts on that? So you need to do a governance Go proposal to get VEUSD into Congress right now. <laughs> that's what it sounds like to get some lock liquidity and some gauges going. Um, but was yeah. speaking, speaking yeah. of balance sheets, though, yeah. like, you, you know, Dave, you mentioned this and uh, DeFi Surfer, you tweeted this. I was looking at this earlier, too, is that the Fed finally actually started decreasing their balance sheet. Right. We started seeing that the actual dip again. And that didn't take long. The crisis was like, what, two weeks ago? The whole the whole bank run yeah, situation. And now we're, we're kind yeah. of back to, to tightening. And then this, I wanted to overlay that with this narrative now that the media is pushing where the dollar is being weakened, right, on the backdrop of the yuan settling its uh, natural gas uh, or natural gas settlement in yuan, the uh, ASEAN countries moving to their local currency instead of the reserve currencies of the world. And then lastly, was the Saudi trade alliance with the China, Russia, India, and um, I think it was Pakistan. Like, with all of that backdrop, isn't it kind of funny how the media is like trying to push this narrative as like, hey, you know, we're going to do a lot of QE, things are going to be easier. But if you check the charts, and if you look at the data, it's like, no, dollar is still, frankly, quite strong. And the Fed is not QEing anytime soon. Because in, inflation is yeah, still 4%, percent, right? So... Yeah, I'm, I don't know where this narrative is coming from, from the media. The, me, the media, uh, my, my perception of the media changed a lot during the Trump administration, and then it just went to zero during COVID. It's crypto. <laughs> yeah. And they were just lying to us every single day. So I don't know what the media is getting. The dollar, the do, like 60% of world trade or something like that settles in the dollar. You don't just flip a switch and all of a sudden it's not the reserve currency. Yeah. You and like, I mean? what would exactly replace the dollar? Nope. Like, I don't see a fiat currency replacing it. Dude, Ethereum. Probably... Ethereum, yeah. <laughs> Duh. Do you think Ethereum is more likely <laughs> likely to replace it than Bitcoin? What's that? Do you think Ethereum is more likely to replace it than Bitcoin? Uh, you want to go there? How many Bitcoins? I want to go there. I wanna, we're going there. We're going there, Mr. <laughs> okay. uh, I mean, like, Bitcoin... Bitcoin's OG, it like was the first, it has a lot of virtues of its own, but like it, it has a shitload of problems. <laughs> like it, it's super expensive to maintain the network. They're like emitting like, what is it? 10 billion, 20 billion a year. That number grows as Bitcoin's price grows. It's like, I, um, I think it's uh, Ryan Berkman or something like that has a lot of great threads on like why it's unsustainable. Like the, 
if Bitcoin went to a million bucks, the cost to, to maintain the network are astronomical. Like, there's no fucking way it would work. <laughs> like, unless the U.S. government started buying Bitcoin or something. Um, that's that's the main issue. There's the, the secondary stuff like electricity consumption is like massive. Then you have like the non-programmability, which like severely limits its utility. Um, it's, everything you're saying is what I like about Bitcoin, though. <laughs> I like how it's just dumb. It's just like a pet rock. I like how it uses, you know, like the way it like is uses power. Um, it's like you know, proof of work. It's like it's like kind of a you know, measures energy. Like it's kind of like a. Not, I wouldn't say direct, but like as direct as you can get. Like you need power to generate Bitcoin, and so um, I. That's all, everything you're saying is like what I actually like about Bitcoin, and I think like Bitcoin and Ethereum exist in this, uh, like I said, dichotomy. Oh, I mean, like, don't don't get me wrong. Like, Bitcoin is still the king, and like, clearly the the value prop resonates very strongly. Um, I I do think that when all is said and done, twenty years from now or whatever the number is, it, Bitcoin will be relegated to a niche, like kind of like gold is kind of nichey in the context of mm-hmm. the world's net worth. I think Ethereum has like the bigger opportunity to be like the money of the internet. It can be this like income producing asset with, and it'll start competing with like real estate or dividend stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like you can actually fucking use it. You can like program shit on the internet native to Ethereum. It's That's just something Bitcoin you can't do. So yeah. yeah anyway, yeah, that's, that's my ETH maxi spiel. No, I'm definitely more of an ETH maxi, but I feel like I, I have ebbs and flows into Bitcoin. <laughs> it's so charming. Wait, Kate, what are you going to say? All of us are kind of like, you know, ETH maxis on the inside, but we try to be uh, objective and love all. But let's let's talk quickly about this ETH BTC ratio that you said, a DeFi surfer said, there's, <laughs> there's a magnet to 0.05. Um, why so? Uh, is there no alt season this year or, or what's, what's going on here? I was trying to be provocative was the main thing. The engagement on that tweet <laughs> was pretty strong. <laughs> um... I mean, like, if you look at USDC, USDC is, it's really interesting. Tether, like, freaking dominates trading. There's, like, something like 500 crypto exchanges all over the world, and Tether is, like, the monopoly. Like, every fucking exchange, including Binance, uses Tether. USDC is not tracked into that market at all. Where where USDC dominates is DeFi. That's, Mm -hmm. like, yield farming, trading on chain, um, providing an LP on a on a swap platform like Uniswap, USDC flows are super fucking negative. <laughs> I don't know if you've like seen the chart. It's terrible. Oh yeah, recently. Yeah. Yeah. So like, liquidity is coming out of DeFi. There's there's a lot of risk aversion right now. Um, yeah, it's it's not very bullish for alts in the near term. Yeah. Talk about a negative flywheel. Yeah, seriously. We, I just, if only there was some stablecoin to replace USDC as the uh, you know reserve currency of on-chain DeFi. I don't know what it could be. Like, uh, okay, this is a great time to flip the script. Like, my 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 beef with Frax is like they have like five developers or whatever the number is. Like, how actually the, seven? How Whoa, the hell bro, are seven. you ever? <laughs> Circle <laughs> seven. <laughs> Circle has a thousand employees. Coinbase has five thousand. Like. How the heck are you going to like go out there and do the, the work of like 
getting fracks out in the marketplace? Well, I think in terms of fracks develop, the development, they have performed uh, and shipped faster than probably like any protocol out there over the past two years. Every, you know, they built a whole DeFi Trinity stablecoin maximalist ecosystem all running on the frack stablecoin. But I hear what you're saying, like, you know, how do you compete with that? But I think with smart contracts, you don't need as many, you know, employees and like one excellent smart contract dev and dev in general is worth like, you know, five, 10 employees. And so I think the frack team from just like knowing them is just a lot more efficient in that regard. And right now, like I just, like I said earlier in the interview, like Frax is primarily in liquidity business and they're trying to, you know, be the kingmaker of liquidity on chain. And like, that's been, you know, that's what they, they've been doing over the past few years with like their dominance of the curve and convex ecosystems. Um, but in terms of like getting to that like next level, I think it will take, you know, more building around the ecosystem in the same way like devs build on Ethereum. You need like economists and like devs to build on Frax. Um, and so I think that just comes with, uh, you know, incentives, grants, which is something that we're working on here with Flywheel, actually. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so like we're, we're actually planning a, a Frax hackathon soon. Um, it will be the first Frax hackathon because there's plenty of stuff that they want built. Um, and um, they just, you know, they can't do everything, obviously, because there's only seven oh. devs. One really interesting project that we love here at Flywheel um, that's building on Frax is uh, Pitch. Well, well it's, it's Pitch. Um, they're get, they have big announcements coming along the way. I can't say anything, but pitch money. Uh, just check them out. Yeah. Just, just to add a slight color and, and timeline to this thing, right? Circle's been around, I would say, since 2017, right? If anything, Third, early 2018. 2013. 2013. 2013. Yeah. 2013 even. 20, and Coinbase 20. is 2012, yeah. right? Or, or 2011. Like, like, like Coinbase is even older. So these guys have almost a decade on Frax. Frax has been around since 2023. We just celebrated a two-year anniversary not too long ago. So I feel like if you were to put them on the same time scale, um, I think that's a much better way to, to judge them rather than this snapshot in time right now. Obviously, it's very much a David versus Goliath vibe uh, for sure. But Someone I definitely think... David? <laughs> yes, yes. Damn. Oh my God. <laughs> just totally get that. Yes. It was, it was... <laughs> it's been three months since the the Frax two year anniversary meetup. Damn. Yeah. Okay. So, time like, flies. But like you go you go to Gaines Network. They have their dive mm -hmm. vault. Like why didn't they choose Frax? I don't. Why didn't they choose? That's a really. That's you got to ask the Gaines guy. That um, maybe. I I would assume it have to do with like liquidity on Arbitrum. Maybe Dai has more liquidity on Arbitrum than Frax, um, but because you saw, it like, does. you know, in 2021 during Olympus and Olympus fork season, you know, they chose Frax. Frax beca became the reserve currency of all the Olympus forks. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think like when Frax has like more of the initiative and they are to, uh, you know, bring more liquidity and have more action on Arbitrum, um, you're going to see like gains. Or, you know, protocols like gains make the choice to frax. And actually, today in the governance forum, there was a proposal to launch Fraxland on Arbitrum with the uh, Frax Arb pair. So you can there we go. Uh, go. Yeah, there we go. We got some action. And, you know, um, I've been, I was trying to get Frax more on Arbitrum even like back in the summer when I was talking to the, uh, 
the umami people i'm like oh like maybe you can like increase uh frax's allocation in the glp pool um you know and frax is already in the glp pool it was like interesting exploring like the you know what's possible there what were the bottlenecks at the time but i think now with the arb token out um you know i think this is like the the go for frax to really you know pedal to the metal on arbitrage run that's why you guys need to hire more people you need to be pounding the pavement <laughs> That's us. That's literally in front of games. That's we're we are we are pounding the payment for Frax at Flywheel. We keep it spinning. We keep it locked. We keep oh. it loaded. Um, <laughs> yep. So, <laughs> we uh, yeah. So yeah, I like to think of ourselves as the the diplomatic wing of Frax, the community funded grassroots diplomatic mission of Frax, getting out there to different protocols. I actually consider these interviews kind of a like a soft BD, a soft public BD. You know, you know whether it's like a protocol or talking to them to seeing like what partnerships we could do or like talking to you, informing you, addressing your concerns. It's like, that's what we do. And, you know, Frax supports us with grants. They give us a pretty fat grant uh, a few months ago to like keep doing what we're doing at 214K for the year. And um, we, you know, we just plan to scale up from here. Like the, uh, the, uh, the soul part, the BD part, the Riz part. That's, I mean, it's a great time for, for a, an alternative to the, the two leaders. Like USDC is obviously on its ass and like Tether's going to yeah. come under more scrutiny. Like it's going to yeah. happen. So And so speaking of coming at the king and not missing, have you seen Frax V3? I have not. You have not? Well, Sam the other day tweeted, I think it was just yesterday or two days. I don't, I don't even know what day it is anymore. But very recently Sam tweeted, Frax V3 with a shh. And Twitter went wild. It was, what's V3? What's So the last major upgrade to Frax was Frax V2. And that's when Frax introduced its AMOs, which um, became a foundational part of the protocol. It's basically a way for Frax to keep its peg using other protocols. So it's a pretty big upgrade. It's a pretty monumental upgrade. And, you know, we're seeing the success. We've seen the success of AMOs. A lot of protocols have copied AMOs into their own architecture. So, you know, we have spec. We actually speculated uh, on Frax and review of last that's going to be released about like what V three could be, but um, yeah, we're excited for it. So we don't know what it is. Um, we don't know yet. We have we speculated. Um, I personally think uh, a big part of it will have to do with on chain governance. Um, and with my when I interviewed Sam at ETH Denver uh, last month. Uh, he talks about how Frax is moving to completely on-chain governance. It's going to be this optimistic system where it's this good balance where the Frax team can act quickly in situations such as like there's like a hacker or exploit. They can like make a quick move. But also at the same time, you know, the token holders, the VEFXS stakers have the final check on the entire system. And so they have the ultimate power and ultimate control. Neat. Neat. And then part <laughs> two of the V3 is that... You know, Frax right now is pegged to actually not USD, but it's actually pegged to like USDC or all the fiat coin that's kind of in their treasure. But in the V3, Sam proposed that we're going to be pegged to the actual US dollar itself while still maintaining a fully decentralized 100% on-chain mechanism. And he just kind of dropped the mic there and didn't really give us any much more yeah. like details about the designs. So, you know, we're just speculating because, like, how could you have U.S. dollar without kind of going off chain, right? Huh. 
I mean, that would be a big unlock. Like the having Super. USDC as collateral is a risk. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it all comes down to, it all comes down to like custody. I mean, I was thinking about how powerful custody is, and I feel like. I mean, we talk about it like not your keys, not your coin, but sometimes I don't think it's like emphasized enough. Like like those in custody is like that's simply like you have the power. Um, even like before with like banks, like banks hold custody of your dollars. They have the power. Um, and, you know, in this new system that we're building, like we have custody and we have the power. Yeah, I mean, that's like a, a huge appeal of crypto. Like you, you yeah. can't like. It's probably the biggest, honestly, the biggest value prop. I don't. It just dawned on me. It, I don't, it dawned on me more the other day the importance of it. I mean, it's always been important, but it's just like, you know, that maybe that's why like the government's going after it so hard. It's all mm. it's like the existing system. Like the average Joe gets scammed so many different ways. Yeah, and so and honestly, let's be real. It's probably so easy. It, it's so to, with great power comes great responsibility, and like having your own custody is like very stressful at the same time. Yeah, I mean, there's probably like clever ways we can make it easier and less stressful. Like, I, I you know, getting rid of Trezor, it would be a first step. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. I know what you mean. Like, just getting, like, having, I guess it's something to do with account abstraction in the future and social recovery. I think those are two very promising developments, to be honest. Yeah. 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 As as we're kind of like coming up it. to the, the end of our pod here, uh, DeFi Surfer, I want to ask you this question that I'm sure a lot of the listeners are been thinking about, but like, what keeps you up at night? And what are the biggest risks on the horizon right now? Um, I mean, like, if you've been in crypto, like, how many days do you wake up, you're down 50% on some of your coins? Like, dude, that like waking up to some like massive liquidity outflow is like a big fear. Um, so like what could, what could lead to that? Um, like things that are things that I'm worried about right now are like, like if the, if the U S went after Binance in a big way, like that would be very negative for crypto and would cause like a massive risk off. Um, that that's like a, a macro thing I'm like worried about and, Tether, te I I think folks are sleeping on on Tether. They're... It's Tether, the the black box. Yeah, I mean, like the the protocol itself works great. Like you can get liquidity on chain just fine. But like, it, I think at some point the U.S. will go after them, and Binance is just the starting point. Um, that I, mm. I think that worries me. I kind of, I honestly, I kind of want crypto to go down. I I could make it a lot bigger in terms of my portfolio. So like. It's this is kind of selfish <laughs> bearishness in a way. Um, I, I do think crypto is here to stay for sure. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like self custody, like you said, internet native, like you can't yeah, yeah. be debased by some geriatric in Congress. You know, there's so many reasons why it, it makes more sense than the existing okay. system. I have one last question for you. Um, do you see crypto? I feel like crypto adoption can go two ways in the future. Uh, one is like Linux, where it's just like those who are technically savvy enough are you know able to use it, or is it going to be like the internet, where it's just like ubiquitous and like everybody uses the internet, everybody's going to use crypto. Which way do you think is more likely to happen? 
like this is the genius of Bitcoin and number go up technology. Like when it fuck <laughs> when it fucking pumps, it just draws in the next wave of people. That's exactly seriously. That's that's exactly why I'm here. Like yeah. The, the on chain data looks so bullish for Bitcoin. We just we just need the we just need the macro to align, and we'll we'll have another cycle, and we'll have another hundred million, two hundred million people join. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think so. It's, I think. We have like one or two max big cycles left before, you know, it just becomes a daily part in our lives and it just becomes, you know, just another thing. But for now, it's super exciting, super cool. We're super into it. That's what we do because we love it. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, Kit, should we get to the uh, lightning round now? Yes, sir. So, Mr. DeFi Suffer, sir, at the end of all of these pods, we always ask a series of lightning round questions just to kind of get you know, you know, the surfer behind the threader. So, the first question from me is, what was your virgin crypto experience? When did you first touch the chain and sex don't count? (laughs) Wait, what? When did I first touch the chain? What do you mean? When did you like first like use Uniswap? Did you use Uniswap? Was it Ave? Did you like degen into some like food farm? What was your first (laughs) transaction on the blockchain? When did you first touch the blockchain? I I think I bought Link on SushiSwap. That's why you like SushiSwap. Yeah, you have that. uh, You have that that connection that like oh like it was my first time the link marines had like crazy fucking memes <laughs> the link the link marines were, were gentle on you i hope <laughs> they, they had crazy <laughs> fucking memes and i got i got i got mesmerized in. in yeah yeah nice. power of memes good virgin experience and when is your i mean sorry what is your favorite off-chain touch grass activity uh, it's, I'd say skiing and golf are, are tied. Wow, nice. not surfing. Okay, <laughs> what a twist! Not surfing. Not. I don't live <laughs> in. Surfing. I don't live in Hawaii or California anymore. True. Um. So, DeFi surfer, what is some advice that you would give to your younger self? And it can't be buy Bitcoin. Oh my God. Um. I should have aped GMX when it was at like twelve. You can't ape. You can't talk about aping. It's just like <laughs> life advice. Oh, life life advice or crypto advice? life advice? Yeah, it could be anything like advice, but just not buy this. Younger self. Okay. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Some wisdom you wish you had. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Um, I think like Let's rephrase that. I would encourage folks to like think for themselves and have their own point of view because you just, otherwise you just like get pulled around by all these influencers and like they're, the narrative is going to be the strongest when it's like the least opportune time to take action. So like I'd encourage folks to have their own point of view. Good advice. And the last question to wrap it all up is if you weren't in finance and you weren't in crypto, what would your professional career path be? (laughs) Great question. Um, I I think, uh, oh, this is kind of, I think like folks who are like entrepreneurs in crypto are like, 
I think, I mean, that, that is crypto, but like, I feel like I admire that the folks who are courageous enough to go down that path a lot. Um, but, uh, if I had a, my dream job, I feel like being a pro golfer would be pretty sweet. I had a feeling you'd say athlete. I was like, I was going to be surfer or golfer and it was golfer. <laughs> yeah. They have it pretty good. The, the top guys. Yeah. Nice. Well, maybe we'll see you on the course one day. Yeah, come up, uh, come up to New England. We'll we'll, uh, we'll get around in. Uh, uh, I'm down. I actually do. I come up to. I occasionally visit Massachusetts because UMass is my alumnus. So you may you may or may not find me there. If you're in Bitcoin, uh, Miami, maybe we could meet up. That would be fun to get around in down there. Perhaps, perhaps I'll let you know. But uh, DeFi Surfer, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, great to have you, and you know, hope we have you again soon. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a good one. You too. Thanks, man. Hello, and welcome to the DeFi Surfer postgame. I'm Sam, and I'm joined by Dave and Kid, and we are here to talk about the Surfer, DeFi Surfer. Guys, first impressions. Let's go. He's very smart, very intelligent. Um, I think he had like I very I relate a lot to his path to crypto of just you know, first being a Bitcoin maxi a bit, and then seeing like other things pop up. It's like what's going on over there. Um, I thought it you know, I. I like his. I was. I like how he's developed his own positions and convictions, and you know he's thought about things a lot. Uh, whether it's like you know why he likes Arbitrum and GMX, and or like why he doesn't like Tether. Um, so I really respect how he's an independent thinker first and foremost, and obviously a very smart guy. I yeah. like that he is a fellow Trojan. Fight on, and we're able to vibe <laughs> off of that. And also, frankly, I think his experience coming from TradFi gives him a very sober look into how crypto is and what is the bigger picture, right? He, he provided a lot of contrarian thesis in his um, it, in all of his tweets, right? Everyone's talking about QE, QE, banking crisis, and et cetera. But he actually digs into the data and he shows you charts as just facts, yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, I, I, I like, I like that. Pack. Yeah. Yeah, is that, who is it? Uh, there's some tweet that I saw yesterday. It's like the fastest way to grow on Twitter is just to be like super Cunningham's de- law, raw, like cut, yeah, Cunningham's law. Yeah, yeah, just be like super decisive, divisive, and just say like the wildest shit, and like that's what gets spread. People spread this like crazy takes, right? It's all ta- you have to be like bad takes, but when you actually like dig into the data and you find out, okay, hey, it's really not as bad as I think it is, like. You know, you get a much better picture, and I think that's where where Mr. Surfer is uh, is standing. Yeah. So, um, what did you find surprising uh, from the show? Um, I thought he would know a bit more about Frax, to be honest, because um, he's into stable coins and he's written a lot about stable coins. But I feel like he's written most, I guess, coming from TradFi, um, and like his point of view, he's only he's really focused on Tether and USDC, but I'm not sure if he's focused too much on Frax just yet. Um, but, you know, I think we gave him a good first impression. Yeah. <laughs> I think you guys did. Yeah, it was, it's always interesting to hear um, about people who have come in and their journey and kind of like if they had found Frax or not and kind of what, what they start to think about it. Hopefully, you know, he starts to dig in and, and has a good positive experience to in, in finding out uh, all about Frax. Yeah, I hope we yeah. lead him down a, a nice rabbit hole and something similar to when he first got into DeFi. Yeah. And what about you, Kit? 
I think for me is I, I didn't realize how bullish she is on Arbitrum and not on any other yeah. L2s. And not on any other L2. I, don't I thought he was optimism. more. I don't think no. we mentioned Optimism once. No Optimism. We actually bagged on CK a little bit. <laughs> and like, you know. We so, did bag on CK. He really is all in on Arbitrum. And I, I was, you know, kind of curious as to like, well, why this conviction, you know? And he, he, he answered, but I feel like there must be a, a deeper reason. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, just as a personal poll here, have you guys used optimism optimism in the past two months? Not in the past two months. Have you used Arbitrum in the past two months? Uh, other than yes. the, other than claiming the airdrop. Yes, to both. I, I used optimism yeah, twice. Yeah, I have. I have. But Arbitrum I have more. used it. In... Yeah. Yeah, I don't, this is the issue, right? Is that now we're, now we've got like zk sync EVM, we've got optimism. There's going to be a bunch of like L2s coming. Like, I just don't yeah. understand. Like, I I get the point of like going out, right? All it is is just like switching some stuff in my MetaMask, but it it almost feels like the alt L1 thing, where like going from you, mm-hmm. know, you just bridge, you like bridge from ETH to Avalanche, or you bridge from ETH to Phantom. Like, what sort of experience? Am I getting differently? And I think Arbitrum is able to say confidently, like, oh, hey, we have GMX. Um, but I don't know. Is that enough of a moat? I, I really like what he had to say about Coinbase and Binance being an on-off ramp and being like mm-hmm. the interface for the masses to, you know, get people to interact with, you know, life on chain and being on chain. Um, I think that could be a challenge to Arbitrum, but I think what really has like what Arbitrum has done so well is develop you know attract natural mind share, which creates this network effect and it's positive flywheel effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that like the whole idea of what like Arbitrum is, right? Um, I guess they've just done well on their marketing and branding. Uh, versus like some of the other ones and maybe it's the bridge maybe the bridge is just nice to use because that's that's where like most of the hassle is right so like mm-hmm. if you like if you're thinking about the early days of arbitrum it was just easier to bridge than optimism it was super quick and they already had all the, the stuff so you could go back and forth and uh and then gmx came along kind of like changed everything so it's we'll see we'll see i i think the there's bigger questions about like how does base fit in and whatever Binance does do you like do you think well I know I know there's like BNB Binance or like BNB chain right but does Binance release a, an Ethereum L2 at some point I think they could yeah I mean you had for a bit like different L1s that were Cosmos chains like Kronos um, so you could definitely see like an Ethereum L2 yeah seems like a natural fit good alignment I think uh I think Binance's window of how they operate is is rapidly closing. So their like main company, like they have BNB chain, like they're going to be fully forced into the kind of online only space. I think pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the you guys touched on it a little bit, but those charges that were brought against uh, CZ and Binance and everybody, pretty serious. Like, yeah. You know, <laughs> terrorist financing. U.S. really and, going to the jugular there. AML laws. I mean, look, they've been investigating Binance for a long time, and like everybody knows that Americans could trade on Binance, right? Like you just turn on a VPN and go. Like this isn't anything like new, and so it's finally catching up. And 
um, I it's going to be a lot, probably like an eighteenth month, two year thing. But man, it could be really nasty. Come soon. Um, and yeah, you guys did touch on it. So uh, yeah, I, I, I liked um, I liked how he had good connections. You know, it sounds like it sounds like he's done his homework. Not like now that he's like in. Like you know, he said he had like some contacts at USC and uh you know coinbase and stuff and is able to kind of like reach out and get some yeah. ins- good information um to to bolster his thesis dc dc thesi thesi no thesi of defi no it's the thesis thesis i'm just making it up um so what uh do you guys have any any unanswered questions from the from the uh, interview um i'd like i w- i like to get him in in a room with bitfinex <laughs> and have them meet each other bitfinex has me blocked though so i can't do that i don't know why i think i think he would make a good uh i think he's been i, I really enjoyed listening to him speak and uh i would, would like to have him back on to talk more about some of the investigations that he's got going on. Yeah. Um, I think it would be a good panel guest. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, having read his blog, which is really great. Very well written. Yeah. Very well written. Um, I think that it would be great to have him back on, like to present, like to essentially bring a deck. I think he's, I think he's the kind of person who like wants to be really prepared walking into mm-hmm. things. Yeah. And, uh, I, if, you can tell that. You yeah. That, yeah. So like, you know, uh, if, if next time he has a blog post, we can invite him on to come talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe he'll guest post for us. Who knows? My journey with Frax. My journey learning, with Frax. My journey learning about Frax. That would actually um, be good. We can ask him to, like, go investigate Frax, Frax and then come back and, yes. and talk Real about it. Real yeah. Frax, Frax hours. <laughs> uh, so based on the other threaders that we've had on Flywheel, where does, um, like – is he more of like a berry type or is he like a, a Haim or is he a, uh, OXD for D2? No, I, I think he's, he's a DeFi surfer. He's in his he's own a DeFi server. Yeah. <laughs> I want to Correct watch answer. those. I kind of, yeah. Well, I'm talking Let's, about, I'm talking about style mostly like, like the, I know there's nuts. I'm not talking about, sorry. I'm not I talking think, about oh, style. Sti- like, I guess like in terms more of presentation, like, presentation. I think how- it's more of like a, like a Xerox D24 because they both have like similar backgrounds in TradFi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just is, is, is like, does it, does Xerox D24 have a blog? Does he write extensively? He threads. Um, threads. I don't, yeah. But I don't think he, I don't know. If, has he threaded recently? Uh, no, I don't think so. Maybe, maybe, uh, the life device, of a threader. Maybe device surfer is like the first like blog boy that we've blog had on boy. the blog boys. Cause the <laughs> blog era. Yeah. Real blogging hours. Cause those, uh, the, the threaders kind of like get away with like, you know, here's a, here's a 10 thread tweet. I wrote six sentences and here's some pictures. Go figure it out. Versus like out. he's putting in like several thousand words. Um, but yeah, it was good. I liked the chat at the end about like uh, monetary policy and stuff. It was all very nice. Enjoyed this one. It was. It was a good one. Um, did you guys have anything else before we wrap up? Uh, oh, that's good. it on my end. That's good. 
Uh, well, great. Well, let's take it out of here. Uh, I'm Sam, and I've got Dave and Kit here. Guys, Kit, let's start with you, and Dave, you can lead us out. Yes, people can find me at uh, 0x capital underscore K. And people can find me at DeFiDave22. And if you want to find us at Flywheel, go find us on Twitter, at FlywheelDefi. Join the Telegram group, at FlywheelDefi. Go to our YouTube and catch up with everything Flywheel. Hit that subscribe and bell button. Do it at the same time. Defy the laws of physics. Uh, we, we want you here. We want your support. We hope you like us. <laughs> I fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. We're rolling. All right, guys. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Uh, peace. peace. Everything said on this episode is not financial or tax advice. This channel is strictly for educational purposes, and it's not in investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell any assets or to make any financial decisions. This video is not tax advice whatsoever. Please talk to your accountant and do your own research.